Welcome to the How Soccer Explains Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership principles through the lens of the beautiful game. Welcome back to How Soccer Explains Leadership. Thanks again for being a part of the conversation. Thank you for downloading it, but more importantly, thank you for engaging and using what we're talking about on this show in your life, in your leadership, in every aspect of your life. Hopefully, you're able to use these things we're talking about, and that's kind of the point of this show is that soccer does explain life and leadership. I'm Phil Dark, and with me is my co-host and brother who just celebrated his 40-something birthday. You know, he's super young, so I, I can't even, I don't even know. I forget how old or young Paul is, but happy birthday, brother. Paul Jobson, how you doing, man? Thanks, man. Can't appreciate it. For my birthday, I got a cold, so I apologize for the voice, but uh, we'll work through it. We'll persevere. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll make it happen, but no, it's been a great holiday, Thanksgiving. Uh, upon recording this, we've just gone through Thanksgiving holiday and also just great time with family and connecting and just, just really thinking through those things we're thankful for. Definitely thankful for uh, this podcast and Phil, your friendship, of course. Obviously very thankful for our guest we're going to have on today too. We'll get to her in a little bit. Uh, she's a great friend of our family. So a lot to be thankful for, but uh, yeah, things have been great here, but uh how about you guys, Phil? What what happened over Thanksgiving in the in the dark household? First of all, I, I think a lot of the listeners are going to go. I kind of like the raspy radio mm-hmm. Paul voice of the little sickness. That that's that's uh, you know, there's something there. I don't know. Just just you know, I'm not saying be sick all the time. I'm just saying it's kind of a cool. Little, Appreciate that. You know, it's like that, that 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 radio voice you can do now. You can kind of have that. I could do the like weather that. later. I know you like when you I could. Do the yeah. Well, we know. I was I was kind of disappointed that the weather forecast didn't uh, didn't happen. But that's okay. That's okay. It's a little cool. Gonna, it's sixty gonna, degrees here. Right okay. There. All right. All right. All right. There we go. Now it's a complete episode of How Soccer Explains Leadership. We got the Waco weather. Uh, our our Thanksgiving was great. I mean, it was soccer filled because we did the Surf Thanksgiving Cup with with Kirsten with my daughter. And it was, it was fun. It was just a great weekend, beautiful weather down there as usual. Got to connect with some, some great folks there at the tournament and just had a really good time with family. So I'm very, very grateful for that. As I've said, grateful for you, Marcy, and that we get to do this, this podcast together and, and just do life together, really. And so on that note, this guest we have today Ruth Brennan Mori is a good friend of your family, as you said. You guys got to go down to Guatemala together to do some work with Warrior Way, which is really cool. And Ruth does so many cool things, and we're going to get into that in just here in a few minutes. But before we do, Ruth, how are you doing? I am doing fantastic, actually. I'm so happy to be here with you guys and humbled to be on this great show. So pleased to be here. Well, you know, I'm always, you know, humbled to have guests like you and then to even hear you say great show. I, I hope other people are thinking that, too. So hopefully that that is that is what people think when they listen. That's what that's what we're hoping. I'm glad that you've been able to to glean some stuff from from what we talk about, from the great guests that we do have on it. And you're definitely one of those. So so, Ruth, as you know, you know, by listening, you can you know know that we, we usually just like to hear our guest story, just, you know, how you developed your passion for for soccer, for, for triathlons that you do for, for coaching, for psychology, you're a, you're a mental skills performance coach. And so how did you kind of get to do, that's a lot of different things going on there. I feel like there's, there's a story behind that. So how, how did you get to where you are today? Uh, <clears throat> I think that it, it my story began when I was really young as a tomboy, um, growing up in my hometown, how, hometown of Rochester, Minnesota. And 
throughout my childhood, I was playing with the boys, had a ball at my feet. You know, my parents gave up washing the garage door from ball marks because they knew that just the next day I would be pummeling away again and again and again. And I think when I think about my childhood, it was just all about just play and have fun and be with friends and then play when the friends weren't there on my own and go to the fields on my own. So I was it was very much kind of like self-regulated play. And then when I was in high school, it you know, I did I did really well in my high school and my club team was recruited to play at University of Wisconsin, Madison and played four years there too with with Marcy Miller before she transferred and then played semi-pro with Marcy on a team called Chicago Cobras. And then at, shortly after that, I decided after my NCAA eligibility ran out, I thought it would be kind of fun to run a marathon. And my brother and my dad were were big runners. And so I tra- I took a, a marathon training class at Wisconsin my fourth year, and I had to run a marathon to pass the class. <laughs> so wow. I trained for it. It was probably one of my most difficult courses I've ever had to take because you had to learn about physiology, nutrition, training, you know, training responses, and then also do the training too. So there was a high degree of attrition in that class. I think we started out with 30 and ended up with eight who actually finished the marathon. But then from there, I think I came in third place in that first marathon and I knew that I had more in me. And so I I recruited my brother, my older brother, who I wanted to be like from when I was, you know, four years old, my idol. And he said he put a plan together for me and he said, let's let's try to break three hours in the marathon. And so I said, yeah, let's do it. And I was training. And the night before the marathon, I said, I said, Mike, I just want to break something to you. And he's like, what? And I said, I just don't want that pressure of having to break three hours. I really just want to enjoy this marathon. I just want to run it, just run free and just kind of see what happens. And so the next day was the marathon and he was planning to run the first 10 miles with me to pace me for that three hour, you know, mark. And and then he was going to drop out of the race. Well, as we started to run um, at mile mile eight, nine, he's, I look over at him and he's doing all these calculations in his, on his watch. And he says to me, do you know that if you keep running this pace, you'll qualify for the Olympic trials? And I was like, what are the Olympic trials? Like in the middle of the race. And so I kind of just blocked him out and, and kept running. And, and then he held on to the pace, knowing kind of what I was going to be doing in it. At the end, I was a age 23 year old who crossed the finish line, and I was oblivious to that goal that I had just achieved a 248 marathon, not a three-hour marathon. So I ran a 248 by mistake, accidentally, <laughs> just because I was running free. And my bro- the finish line shot is my brother, who ran the whole distance. He's pouring with tears because that was one of his life goals. And here's younger sister did it instead. So that propelled me into distance running. So I ran in the Olympic trials, came in 33rd out of 210 qualifiers with some really great runners. And then I quickly burned out three years of distance running. So then I took a 10-year break, (laughs) sit on the couch. But I just 
trained for fun. I was burned out because, you know, of all kinds of things. I ran through injuries. I was just a dumb runner who wouldn't listen to my body and was in it for the wrong reasons. My purpose was not intact. I was running to win only. And then so that 10 during that 10 years, it's not like I just sat on the couch. I had three kids and also got my Ph.D., and um, did some other things too. So I got my master's too. And then after I got my PhD and and the kids are on the side, I said, I really want something else. So then I was dared to do a triathlon. I did really well the first two years. I qualified for my pro card of doing triathlons. And then I, I was a professional triathlete for eight years, traveling around the world, right, racing in Ironman um, competitions. And then I stopped in 2018 so about five years ago after doing Kona and the world championships and all kinds of glory and it was a really special time but that was my time to to call it quits and then the last kind of um athletic nugget was I want I wanted to stop but also qualify for the Olympic trials again and the standard this time was this was 2020 the standard this time was 245. And so as a 43-year-old, 20 years later, <laughs> I intentionally qualified for the Olympic trials and then ran in the 2020 right before COVID hit, that February before COVID hit. So, And then since then, I've been uh, working as a mental performance coach with my kind of blending my two loves of, of performance and athletics and also working with working with people and sharing my story, but also helping them live out their their own dreams. So that is there's a lot of stories in between there. Yeah, that's the condensed version. Conversion. That you know, we just for those who are you know listening to this for the first time, you will not have been able to hear the interview we did with Marcy Miller, as you said, Jobson now because she is married to the one and only Paul Jobson. But, uh, you know, I, I'm still wondering why Paul didn't change his name to Miller because of the prowess of Marcy. But that's a whole different conversation. But There's a story to that, but that's another interview. Yeah. OK. All right, yeah. We'll do that on a, one of the post shows. But the uh, the thing that's funny to me is Marcy said in that in that interview, you can go back and listen. That she she just decided when she was over in the Middle East because one of her bucket list items was running in the desert. Um, a 5k in the, or is it five or 10k? I can't remember. It was, a, it was running in the desert that, that would never even cross my mind as anything relating to, as Paul said, that's in a different bucket for us. But I, I'm wondering what happens at university of Wisconsin. Like what, they, what's in the water there that causes these people to want to do all this running? I, I just don't, it's not the way I'm made. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I love that. I love that's so fun. That's so cool. I mean, that story is amazing there. As you said, there's so much in there. Um, one of the things that I can tell just from doing, you know, the research behind the scenes here is, and we'll get into some of those stories, no doubt, but, uh, you know, you're, you are, uh, as you talk about all of that, it's not just pouring into yourself. It's now you're a mental performance coach. You are coaching soccer. You're doing all these things. And one of the things I've noticed from your website, from, um, some other things is that you're you're heavily influenced by John Wooden, which tells me that your leadership is well informed. I'm sure it's not just John Wooden, but what's what's behind that? Like, how did you kind of get connected with you know the leadership of John Wooden? How are you using that? And because that's something that I know for me, and we've talked a lot about that on this show. But just 
his his way of coaching is different from a lot of the current i think way of you know when it when it all costs it's all about the sports it's all about scholarships it's all about these other things but what is that how is that going to you said you qualify for the olympics because you said i want to just have fun and just go what does that look like in the current context of everything we got going on in our world today yeah i think that's that's interesting that you picked up on on my love for wooden like everybody else but I think the 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 quote that I I frequently visit is by John Wooden is don't mistake activity for achievement. And now I coach, I feel like I I am intentionally coaching my soccer players and also doing the the work with my mental mental performance kids in that I really want to make sure that what I am doing is making a difference and it is based on you know principles of learning, cognitive science, you are just because you're going through the actions of, of a soccer warm-up doesn't mean you're actually achieving much at all. And so I want to make sure that my training environment is all based on kind of my purpose in in coaching and that is really growing a, a child in their in their character, growing a child in their own um uh, physical development, soccer development, their love for the game, and then also their cognitive development, how they're how they're seeing seeing the game, learning, you know, how to make decisions. So I think that, you know, there's a few different nuggets of of John Wooden that that I love how process oriented he is and process is the win. You know, when we focus on the actions of process, that leads us to the great things that we want so badly. Yeah, you know, and the other thing is, um, I love your, the quote you have, like, you know, success is the satisfaction of knowing that you've done your best, you know, on any given day. It's a, a paraphrase of the quote, yeah. but that idea, I love that. I talk to my my players all the time about that. Like, guys, it's not about, you know, success in this world is is always put into the end result, but you could get there. And as I say, you could be a total jerk and win. Yeah. You know, that's not success in my book. Right. And and you could also not give your best and win. That's not success in my book. You know, what is what does that look like as far as doing your best? And that looks different for different kids. And so I, I love that. I think that's on your website as well. But yeah, that that's something I picked up on because I I too, you know, and we had Corey Close on who got it was the women's basketball coach at UCLA. She got to be mentored by him for 15 years. So I love just kind of that common theme. We've had a lot of these on the show with with Wood. And so folks, if you're not you haven't read anything of Wooden, definitely go out. You know, the Pyramid of Success was even if even if you're not like a huge, you know, uh, Wooden fan. Well, if you're a Ted Lasso fan, know that Ted Lasso was inspired by John Wooden and that was on his wall in his office. But anyway, um, that's just a little side note that I saw. But the other thing I wanted to just really quickly, you know, we've talked about what Warrior Way Gibbs has done and going down to Guatemala. You know, you went, I don't know when you went down exactly, but I saw that you went down at some point. What what did you learn on that trip, and what what was how did that impact your life? So the last I I went to Guatemala two years ago, and then again this year. The first year I brought my daughter Shay, who was fifteen at the time, and this last year in when was it July, Paul? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in Ju- yeah in July um, of this year, I brought my son Finn, who was thirteen. So it was Finn and about nine other little boys running around together, having a great time at the Jobsons. And you know, you you go down 
to to serve and you realize you come back you know come back home with more than you than you ever would have you know even dreamed of i think that that going down to guatemala being with the caliber of leaders among that group what i mean it was a true blessing to see how other people are able to keep their purpose intact and actually use their purpose in glorifying God to reach out to others and to serve through this vehicle of sport. And I just think that Warrior Way has nailed it in how they are able to combine the two, combine faith and combine football. And that marriage is just like the most awesome thing. Um, and so I I learned and I was just amazed and in awe by how Warrior Way does that in such a special and intentional way. And, you know, I think it was wonderful to see, you know, my own kids come back and be be touched and be changed by that forever as well. So. Well, you talk about great leaders and people that are there, you're a big part of that too. And you go, and it's always fun to see you in that environment also. And uh, it's just fun to go back too, right? When you've been there once and you go back and you have these relationships and um, it is a lot of fun. So we definitely appreciate what you do for Warrior Way Gives and and been fun having your your kids go along with us. Definitely a unique experience that if people have not done a mission trip or or done something like that, I encourage them to do it at least once in their life. It, it definitely is uh, maybe cliche to say it's life changing, but it but it is right. I mean, the, your perspective changes greatly. And um, you know, talking about perspectives and and just to hear a little bit about your story, things like that. We we love to ask our guests, Ruth. You know, what is your personal why? Like, what is your life purpose? How are you living it out? What is what what makes you tick? Why why do you do the things that you do? Yeah, I think asking this same question to all of the athletes who are in my care is 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 super important to me and so i appreciate you asking asking me that same question i would you know i would say that over time my my purpose has shifted maybe and maybe my the way that i am thinking about my purpose has has shifted in various parts of my life right now i know that the amount of goodness and growth that I have gotten out of out of sport is unspeakable. Like I I can't even, you know, begin to express just how much sport has given me. So I think of sport as a sacred life experience. And that's if something is so sacred, then and I am completely immersed in it, then I want to make sure that I make that experience, the sport experience, sacred for the kids in my charge. And so I want to make sure that everything that I do is for a reason, has a purpose, and that I'm giving back the gifts and the talents that I have been given by my community, by my parents, by my, you know, support group. And and I am able to to give it back in an honorable way. That and enlightens and enriches, you know, children's own um, sport journey. I would say that that is, that's my primary. Yeah. Well, then it's it's such a consistent theme, I think, Phil, also on this podcast, just hearing so many leaders talk about 
giving back kind of what they're given, just the whole thing of you can't give something you don't have, right? And it's so important that when we're given these gifts that we're able to pass this forward and, and move those along so that then the next group can continue to do that, right? I mean, it's just such a such a cool thing. And I've seen your the work in action. You're a special person when it comes to to leading people in the way you do that. Um, I appreciate who you are and how you do things. Um, I appreciate you sharing that with us here on the show for sure. Yeah, you know, I, I totally agree with that. You know, we got so many people who are consistently just great, great leaders that, you know, almost all had something that they had in their past that was something that caused them to go into leadership, you know, and it was like actually doing that as their profession because we all lead somebody, right? We all know that everyone's leading somebody, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not. But to do that intentionally, I think usually takes someone in your past who, who gave that to you and was, you were able to learn that from them. But, you know, anyway, so I want to move on because there's so much to get to, because we could just camp out on like one of the 15 things we've just talked about in the last 20 minutes or so. But one of the things I saw that I loved for a few reasons was on your, um, I guess it's the X feed, but I struggle saying X feed, but it's the, the Twitter feed that, that you came across, I came across and it was a post you had, um, and I believe it was your son playing hockey and it looked like he was by himself, just like playing hockey on, on an ice rink in Minnesota, which is the first thing that was cool that my, my wife grew up in Minnesota. I know she grew up probably like you playing with her big brother hockey on the ponds of Minnesota. And so that was the one cool thing. But the other was you said, I love watching my 12 year olds endless unstructured free play where risk-taking creativity, learning, and dreaming are at their finest. That unstructured free play is something that we unfortunately don't have a lot of in our youth today. Uh, it's usually structured play. It's usually just heavily coached play. But can you discuss the benefits of unstructured free play and all that we miss because uh, the vast majority of our kids' uh, margin is filled with structured activities? Yeah, I think... Um... You know, when I when I'm working with with an athlete um, just on a you know weekly basis, I might ask them the question. At when do you feel most free when you are playing your sport? Like, when do you feel free? You know, your thoughts aren't getting in the way of your performance. When do you feel like most creative? And most of the time it is that one time where the coach didn't show up. <laughs> Or, or when I'm, when I'm by myself, just playing in the backyard and those types of instances are less frequent, I know, but you, it's usually a memory from the past where they have just felt free. And I think that that's what unstructured play does for kids. They have no, you know, I, I call it kind of shackled thinking when you are, feel like you can only, you have certain rules or parameters in which you have to. Um, play the game and you just play unshackled. You play with freedom and creativity and you are learning. And people think, oh, well, the co coach isn't there. You're not learning. But as we know, neural development and learning happens when the brain is able to, to process things on its own, make, make its own schemas and scaffolding unfold. We don't need a coach there. We just need a ball and experimentation. And then knowing that a lot of the, a lot of the skill acquisition that we have 
is not because someone's teaching it to us. It's just failing, 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 failing without judgment from others or the perception of judgment from others. And that's just so key. We have to be able to fail over and over and over and over. But if we are scared that our friends are going to make fun of us or coach is going to say, let's not dink around with that now. We're not doing that now. We're not going to do, you know, rainbows or whatever it is or those moves. We're just going to keep it simple. You know, and then we wonder why our kids don't have creativity on, on the pitch. I mean, that's, that's the answer. So I think that the more, more touches we have on the ball by ourselves and then also playing 2v2 with neighbor boys. That was me growing up and battling it out. And finding that mental durability and that mental kind of, I don't like to use the word toughness, but mental durability and strength and picking yourself up when you've gotten hurt and, and just keep getting after it, knowing that mom and dad are not looking and I am my own self making my own decisions and I am, you know, owning my own story in trying to get better on purpose. So. And I, what I love, what I do love, I think when I was looking at my son on the ice, it's just outside of our back door. We live on a little lake. And so I can be in, in the house drinking my coffee, watching him. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I can just see as he's skating around the ice that he's commentating to himself, same the way he does down our basement. You know, here's Finn Mori, number 10, comes on the right side, you know, shots come on. And that like gives you the, the energy and the emotion that you need, you know, to just like imagine your greatest game. The, your imagination is your greatest friend when we can use it in a way that's going to help facilitate our passion, our skill acquisition, our confidence. And, you know, oftentimes he will shoot and then try to save the shot that he, that he just made. <laughs> um, it's just it's just so brilliant to to watch. I love that. I, you just brought me back to my childhood there. Just, you know, it's the bottom of the ninth, you know, two outs, you know, full count. Right. I mean, like, we, I don't see kids doing that much anymore. Like, I, I, it's sad. It's so sad to me. And all those life lessons, like you talked about, that you're learning from there. I mean, even to the point of like time management, right? Because if they go out and just play on their own, they got to know when to get home, you know, like to deal with like how to deal with conflict. I think we struggle with conflict a lot now because we go to the park with our parents or to a to a practice with coaches. And so if there's any scuffle, you have someone there mediating rather than figuring it out between yourselves, right? Like which we had to do as kids, right? And all those life lessons that are there, plus from a sports side, I mean, most of the great coaches out there see that the kids that played free play more as kids are better players. Cause as you said, you said fail, fail, fail. What is in, implicit in there is trying new things, trying new things, trying new things, which you tend to not do in that structured play because you don't have the opportunity to, which burns people out, which causes the creatives to just be crushed. And, you know, it's kind of like those studies that say the, you know, you ask a kindergartner how many ways you can use a paperclip and they come up with like 5,000. When you ask a senior in high school, they come up with four. And those same ideas we see on our pitches across the country. And, and I, it just saddens me because I think you see the global game continuing to evolve because they're just going out and playing a lot more than we do here. 
So anyway, were you going to say something? I'm sorry. I thought it looked I, like you might. I think there is also, you know, what what I've seen in the trend that kind of drives me bananas too is coaches realizing, oh, we really want to try to get the kids outside more. Okay, let's set up extrinsics so that, you know, a kid who spends 20 hours during the day, make sure you log it, you get a $15 gift card to so-and-so or, you know, thousand puck challenge. Let's see how many pucks you can shoot, you know, and then you get a reward. It's like, you know, there's this great book called um, Punished by Rewards, and it's when you have some intrinsically satisfying behavior uh, activity and it is very enjoyable as it is. But then you introduce like reading. I think the example, <clears throat> I think the example is reading. But then if you give that kid an extrinsic, say, if when you read every 10 pages, we give you a dollar, the reading enjoyment decreases. Mm. You know, even when, you know, even when they get the dollar, they don't read for enjoyment, just, you know, an intrinsic love for it. So I think we have to be careful about that too. Yeah, absolutely. I think another thing on that, you know, we're talking about creativity and structure. And I think, you know, we take the the parent side of this a little bit and we're trying to figure out how do we best organize our kids and, and the things that maybe they want to do or we want them to do. They need to be active. They need to, you know, they're in a school all day, but they need these activities, you know, just pushing them out the door sometimes. Do they have to have a structured practice every night? You know, because we, we find even with some of our kids, sometimes they're just, they're just tired of going to practice and being structured. They want to be creative. Like there's plenty of photos of my four boys in the front yard playing football or soccer or whatever, uh, or in the pool or whatever. But those are the fun times where I think they're probably learning more about themselves than in a structured training environment. Now, I know there's a balance and I think maybe the problem sometimes is we're looking through the lens of, you know, how will my kid get a scholarship to help pay for college or will my kid go play pro? Uh, when the reality is like, why aren't our kids just having fun? I mean, that's what we were doing as kids is just, let's just go out and have fun and play with the neighbors and, you know, see, see what happens from there. But to the creative creativity piece, kid can't be creative because they're too structured. Why don't we have any creative kids in America? Well, every minute of their training session is, is organized and structured and has a flow and where's the free play time. Right. So I love, I love what you're saying on that experience, those two. Those moments where you just see your kids just loving whatever they're doing, and maybe not even a sport they've ever played and organized sport with. So, love that. Yeah, you know, and I just I even saw that over the over the weekend. My my two boys, my he's one's twenty, one's twelve, and they were just kicking it around. You know, we went out to the park, and they were they were just kicking it around and playing and doing different things. And yeah, I mean, they were just shooting and hanging out and talking. Yeah, they, they were, which is so great. Like there was no. He wasn't trying to help him with anything and his little brother wouldn't have listened anyway. But, um, you know, but that's what I think is missing in a lot of, of, of what we do. And part of it's field space, lack of field space in a lot of places because every field is covered with the, the club teams and the other things and everything going on, which is another, that's a whole different conversation. But, but anyway, we'll, we'll move on here. But this weekend yep. I was with my six-year-old and he wanted to go throw the baseball and go hit baseballs. So like, yeah, let's just go up to the local, the local park. Every gate was locked. Yeah. Yeah. It was locked. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, we could have jumped the fence, but they're locked for a reason. I've worked for a park before. I understand they might've been doing something, but it's just, you know, it's hard to find those spaces. So came back to the house and just played in the front yard, but 
being able to have kids be able to, to dream, we have these facilities, sometimes it's nice for them to do that. But again, we could, we could go down this for a long time, but I want to, I want to get to know Ruth more and, and the things that she's doing. Um, Ruth, let's dive into, to, to RBM performance coaching and let's talk and tell us about what that is, how, how it came about really. And, and just dive in, help us dive into what, what you're doing uh, with that. So RBM Performance Coaching is my small business that that I teach athletes about the mental side of sport. And um, I have my master's degree in sports psychology from a long time ago. But now I have a, a business where I work individually and with teams on things like confidence development, anxiety management, pre-competition routines, anger management learning how to set and achieve goals. So all of kind of the the mental side of sport being mentally dur- durable and having um, mental fitness is, you know, such a key part of key part of an athlete's life. And I think, you know, now as our youth landscape is changing, you see a lot of kids, you know, we definitely have a, a confidence epidemic in within our youth. There is, you know, I think when I ask athletes what the number one thing or if they would la- name three values that they really want to or character traits that they want to grow, I would say 90% of the time, one of those three, if I'm giving them a 30 item list, is confidence. Everyone is after confidence. And so that is one of the loves that I love to see confidence transformation. But yeah, and so with teams, it might be, I, I might work with teams on culture, culture building, team building, that kind of thing. And um, yeah, and then I, I kind of assess what a child needs or what their, what their team needs. And then, and then we target their individual program based on that. Yeah. But yeah. you know that you, you bring up the confidence thing, you know, I talk with a lot of athletes as well, and, and that seemed to be a really common thing for sure, which is, you know, unfortunate we could dive into why and all that stuff. But as you're approaching that, give, give us maybe just a few things that like, how do you initiate that? Like, Hey, I want to be confident. Well, you don't just be confident, right? You know, what are, what are some things, how do you kind of coach them through that a little bit? Maybe some high level points to that. Yeah. I think the number one through all, you know, eight years of my PhD, two years of my master's degree in sports psychology, I put all of that aside for one book by the confidence guru who works at West Point and works with West Point cadets. His name is Dr. Nate Zinzer, and he wrote a fantastic book called The Confident Mind. I would recommend I do recommend that to everyone. It is the his definition of confidence I, I use and his method to improve confidence is something I, I definitely take from. He frames it as confidence being a skill. So you're right, Paul, when you say, you know, how many parents out there who are just like, just get out there and be confident. <laughs> the kid's like, oh, okay, I don't even know what that is. You know, number one, we can't define it. We know when we have it, it feels so good. You feel eager. You feel like you could take on any challenge. You can perform automatically and instinctively. But when you don't have it, it is just like deer in the headlights. So Dr. Zinzer, he, you know, worked with Eli Manning and Olympic greats, but also our military. And he 
has, you know, his framework is, is truly ideal in working with athletes. And so the skill that we develop is managed by, <clears throat> by how we are creating building blocks of confidence every day. So we want to manage our memories in such a way every, every day that we are thinking about building our confidence bank account. So if everyone has a confidence bank account and after practice, everybody is thinking about all the bad things that they did or the game, all the, the missed shots that they had, we're withdrawing from that confidence bank account. But if we are able to intentionally think of the memories, situations, effort, progress that we are, be, that we, we are um, making, then we can log them and actually make deposits into our mental bank account every day. And how, and I, so I teach athletes how to use their mental filter to filter out the, you know, not just all the good stuff and pretend like none of the mistakes matter. Cause yeah, we work with those differently, but we want to log our, what's called our ESPs. That is when today, so after a training session or a game, when today did you give your all out effort? Most kids would be like, I gave my effort the whole time. <laughs> I say, oh, maybe, but when was that one time where you gave your all out effort? Oh, it was that time where I got beat by the, you know, I got beat by an attacker. I back checked. I stole the puck away and then I knocked it out. That was the best effort. So I said, okay, write that down. That's your E. S, ESP, S, when today did you have a success moment that is based on the effort that you put forth? Well, it was probably when, um, you know, I was working my way up the ice and, uh, and I saw an open lane and I knew that just the right time I delivered that puck and I got an assist. So that was based on his perception. It was based on his work ethic, some, his controllables. And then process, the P in ESP, is when did you, or sorry, progress. When did you make progress today towards your goals? Well, today I was able to learn a little bit more about, you know, how the ball feels on wet surfaces if you're a goalkeeper. I felt a little bit better with how I was able to hold the ball, you know, on crosses. So I'm making progress. So now it's a game changer. Now we are remembering the good times, also building our confidence, because as we know, confidence is built on two things. Number one, deliberate practice. And number two, what we, what we believe about ourselves. Um, and so people who believe really highly of themselves, but who don't put in deliberate practice, we know that they are in trouble. But the cellist who puts in all of her practice day in and day out, but who lacks confidence on performance day is also going to deteriorate in her performance. So we have to build both of those simultaneously. And that is, yeah, that is how I go about it. So we do daily confidence building activities every single day. Yeah, I love that. I just think that the confidence thing is such a, excuse me, such a hot topic. I'd hate to just brush by that. So appreciate you diving into that for us, for our listeners. I know that can be extremely helpful because I don't know that there's a conversation that I have with an athlete where we're not talking about 
confidence or lack of confidence, or my coach says, I'm just not confident enough, or I don't feel confident. I mean, it, it comes in so many different forms of fashion, but how you just laid it out there is I think extremely helpful for everybody. And you know, when you're, you know, some of the things that you, you work with too, you talk about true potential, you know, what is, how do you, how do you talk to us about true potential? Like, what does that really, really mean? Like, I know I've talked with my own kids. I'm like, Hey, like you're just not playing up to your potential. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that's a kind of a hot topic too. And because we know somebody may have, may have more in them, maybe they don't. What is, how are you defining true potential? Well, I think that if um, I see it as for like, having four pillars, true potential. So we all have like, what are, what are, if we are maxed out on all four of these, all four of these pillars, <laughs> that might be our true potential. And you, it's usually higher than anybody ever sets for them, for themselves. Because you always can set it higher. So number one, I make sure that they that uh, an athlete has what I term as delusional goals, has a, a delusional goal for themselves. Would that would that be like me saying I'm going to go play in the NBA? Would that be a delusional goal? Uh, yeah. Five foot four. And no. Now thirty seven. So the delusional goal must be something that could potentially become reality. So yeah, okay. Which so, that but, couldn't, Paul, I think is what she's saying. Yeah. yeah, so that would not yeah, be a that good really, delusional goal. Talk about yeah. confidence killer. Yeah, Long. that that pretty much. She crushed <laughs> your dream. She crushed your dream. But there's a fine line, right? I mean, when, <laughs> yeah. I was 30, when I was 35 years old, I learned how to swim. I didn't know how far it was from one side of the pool to the other side of the pool. I didn't know how to swim freestyle. And yet I was like, I really want to be an Ironman champion. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's crazy. So... Yeah. Here's the deal with it with delusional goals. You walk around with this with this fierce attitude that you can become great, and then you your actions line up in such a way daily that create the success before you. You know you fight so hard for those for those goals and in your actions, and so it's not just a hope or a wish, but it's a it's a it's a dream. We need athletes to dream because usually. The girls aren't dreaming enough and the boys are dreaming too much without a lot of action. But getting back to the to the pillar. So culture is is uh, a pillar that the team, you know, works within. So the the coach is part of the you know team culture, builds the team culture. The, the relationships within each other is part of that first pillar of, of culture. <laughs> Having a environment of psychological safety where a child feels like they can make mistakes over and over and over without having a thought that they will be negatively reprimanded or feeling like other people have their back. So it is a with high, very high expectations set by the coach, yet this uniform understanding that mistakes don't lead to being yanked from the pitch or people be getting mad at you for taking a shot or, you know, things like that. So psychological safety is huge culture. The second pillar is, you know, your, your physical um, potential. That is doing all the things that are under your control every single day to get better. Kind of, kind of having a fierce rage of mastery. That's the technical stuff, the physical strength, your, your vision, your perception, and your, you know, your, your physical play. And then there is the, the mental piece that I just think 
that is the forgotten pillar. Everybody knows that it is very important. And every coach and player would say that's more important than the physical pillar. (laughs) But then they don't train within that to make it reality. They don't make they don't build upon it every day. They don't build somebody's uh, confidence intentionally, help them with their goal setting and uh, goal achievement, help them visualizing their best self, their dream self, help them with their anxiety management, help them understand what fight or flight is. You know, and so there's this, the pillar of the mental piece is assumed that our kids will just learn it by chance and it'll just happen by chance. I feel like it has to be an intentional piece and a reflective piece provided from the coaches say, hey, here's five minutes before practice to prepare your mind for your best self today. What would that look like? Let's visualize it. And then afterwards, five minutes to log your daily ESPs to say, when was I brilliant today? When was I my best today? And then write it down. So that pillar could be filled up to the brim depending on you know how much the, the kid and the team is is nurturing that the mental side. And then the other piece is kind of the miscellaneous, but the stuff that really counts, how much how well you eat, your sleep and recovery, your joy, passion, just fun, love of the game, studying of the game outside of structured play. So maximize all those that's that's the ideal. So then it kind yeah, of it. It, it gives a kid a barometer. You can say, where would you be on this barometer from one to ten? Where do you think you are right now with your physical play? Is there anything else that you could do that's under your control to help boost yourself up? Let's take two of those this week. All right, boom, boom. And so it's a good visual to to know that yeah, growth is <laughs> can happen. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, there's so much more, um, man, there, there, we say this often, Paul, but I feel like there's so much under the, I mean, I, I, we're like breezing by, oh yeah, I got my PhD and mm-hmm. masters and I just decided to become a Ironman triathlete and all these other things because there's so much here. So I think we definitely need to get back on Ruth and talk through a lot more of that stuff. And, and even oh, the man. RBM performance coach, there's so much to go into i mean you talk about flow which we talked about with uh kara bradley back in uh, a lot of episodes ago and i, I want to talk to you about that on, and probably get you i want to get you on another episode for sure so we'll we'll have to we'll have to do this because we are kind of coming to the end and i want to i want to get to other a few other questions that we we have for you on this on this episode but folks don't worry we're going to come back because i'm sure all you guys are like well, why'd you why didn't you dive into that? Why didn't you mind yeah. that? And all these, you know, these people who probably should be the podcast host instead of us, Paul, out there that are listening. <laughs> um, but, you know, trust us that we, you know, there, I'm not going to say there's a method of the madness. There may or may not be, but we definitely Smoke will get and back mirrors. on Ruth to talk. Yeah, I, whatever it is, it's something. Yeah. But I do want to, one of the other things that you talk about is this, uh, this concept of ideal team family. Now, if, if, if folks, you know, if you've listened to like two of these episodes of our, of our show, you know, that culture, you know, that family, you know, that team, you know, that being great teammates, leading and loving well, all that is so core to what we do and why we do this show. 
Well, can you talk about that idea of ideal team family? What is it? Why is it important? And how can we get there in our teams? Yeah, I think when when I think about my own soccer team family that I've that I've helped create over the past eight years, um, I coached my daughter's U seventeen team, but coached many of those players since they were nine years old. I've learned so much along you know along the way, but one thing that I have been very intentional again, coming back to my purpose and creating that sacred sport you know environment that sport experience is to make sure that everybody who we extend the definition of family and when we are we let the children and the kids own their definition of family and own their definition of what their values are so at every season i pretend like it's a new team and then i ask them hey these are these are core values these are like a, a list of 30 core values I want you guys to choose, list your top five, then they would, you know, write tally marks and we'd compile them all and we would come to a consensus that these five or six core values are how we are going to constantly nurture this environment that we are in. And so then our language changes, our lens changes from what, what we see on the pitch and what we are demanding. If a child's, you know, if a, if a kid says, um, fearlessness, work ethic, commitment, confidence, and respect are our five core values. Then it's just a matter of cycling and noticing when so-and-so makes this fearless, you know, play in the game. And then we use that language. Dempsey, that one-on-one with that, you know, with that defender, you were fearless. Keep that up. You know, even if the even if she fails at the goal or whatever, but we want to constantly nurture what we are looking for and what we are, what we find important on on this team. And the and the thing is, so you know, oftentimes there's there's little rifts between players, but within an ideal team family, there's no talking behind each other's backs, not because it's a rule, but because there is a respect and a love for each other. It doesn't mean they're friends off the field and they're all going to, you know, one person's house, although they, they do love being together. But it is, it is just a, a known that I've got your back. And I think where I live in Rochester, Minnesota, there isn't, a, there isn't competition with other clubs. They can't just take off and go across the, because there's limited opportunities. There might be a couple other clubs in town. They're smaller, but or go up to the cities or, you know, an hour and a half away. But most of them want to stay because they feel a sense of belonging. They feel a sense of feeling loved. And when a child knows that they need to serve someone else within the team, somebody else is struggling, they pick them up. When that person needs to be picked up, they allow themselves to be picked up from other people. The other thing that I think is critical with an ideal family is that it's not just the relationship between the coach and the players. We've got to include the parents and nurture the, this is their sacred sport experience too. But oftentimes, you know, coaches put a Heisman Trophy, just put a deadlock on, you stay on your side, I'll stay on my side, you stay in your lane. And that is not what I do and not what I value. I. 
I want to make sure that their experience is really good too. Because when we can communicate about the child that we both love, that is how that kid gets better. When I can just text a parent, hey, I noticed that that so-and-so was having a hard time at practice. Is everything going okay? It gives them the open communication so that I can do my job. I can care for their kid who they love so much. And there, there's also an education piece before every, many of my parents are probably tired of hearing, hearing the same feel <laughs> before every uh, season. But it is so critical to reset, to ground yourself again on why we shouldn't scream from the sidelines. How come? Is it because it just makes me mad? No, it's because the child's learning is inferior. If you are screaming things and they can't mentally process three different things at one time, and then we expect them to execute perfectly, automatically and instinctively, they can't do that. They can't hold that information in their working memory, manage those, those emotions. They're not playing free. They're playing to satisfy their parents. And so you have to educate parents every single day, or not every day, before every season, and then continually hold it accountable. If something gets out of hand for a game, somebody's yelling, boot it. <laughs> we're like, yeah. we're not a boot it team. <laughs> we don't <laughs> want them to boot it. We want them to play in tight spaces. So then you educate them again in a nice, respectful, joining way. It's not us versus them. It's we. And that has that really helped me. And then when we have an extra parent, maybe one player, a new player comes onto the team. I make sure that I pay, I know their first name. I make eye contact. I go over to them several times. Hey, how is so-and-so liking the new their new environment? I also tell the team, hey, welcome this new player like they, she is already your sister. So there is there is a lot of work that goes into it, but gosh, it is so worth it. That's yeah. so much good stuff there. So much good stuff there, folks. If you go back, listen to that part as far as if you're coaching, if you're leading any team anywhere, so much good stuff there. And I think what you said there about the parents is so critical because not just the players processing, but what you're teaching them about respecting authority. And, you know, because when the parents are railing into refs, I referee. And when I see the, when I hear the parents railing into the refs, those teams, the, the, the level of them yelling at the refs goes up. The kids on the field, they, they take the cue from their parents and from the coaches. And so we have so much to teach them just about life as how we communicate to them on the field and also what's important to us. Is it, you know, after the game, you're like, oh, man, you lost. And it's just like a, a death, you know, funeral on the way home. Or is it, man, that, that was, how can we reinforce those values? And so as much as the parents can understand those values and use that language as well, and you were fearless on that tackle. I love that because so often we have values at the beginning of the year and we don't even talk about them. Just, These are our values. Okay, cool. Now let's go and we'll play. And you just assume they're going to be um, become part of who they are. But if it's not reinforced, if it's not, as they say, repetition, 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 if it's not repeated and reinforced and shown as valuable, they're not going to internalize that at all. Uh, so now I love that. Yes. Yeah, and that, you hit the nail on the head, Paul. I mean, uh, Phil, you... I tell my parents, make sure that on the way home, it's not just like, I love to watch you play. 
but yeah. it's let's reinforce the values that we just saw, like the wonders of that kid who was, was so determined after he got beat one on one to race back and to slide tackle and make that courageous, you know, play. So, yeah, and that that is just self fulfilling. Then the kid wants to do it again. You know, they want to impress us. They want to impress their parent. And so if they know that they are being rewarded by their actions and by their character, then they do more of that. Then they score more goals or you know, play better, yeah. more confident. And it all works together. Totally. And I, I yeah. think, too, so often parents, the question is, did you win? Did you score? Did you have an assist? As opposed to, I love the ESP. And like, what, what were, you know, what are the ESPs? Or what have some sort of thing. And as a parent, find one or two things every game that you can say, man, you did that great. Usually, and, and hopefully not a goal. Hopefully not an assist because those are easy. That how you, you lost the ball and you went after it and you got it back. Or you took that angle and you help your defender. You know, things that other people wouldn't see. If you see that in your kid, most people aren't going to see that. And they all see that as like, oh, okay, working hard is important to my parents. Like going after it. And, and as Paul, you know, we talked about, like stick in, you know, go into that tackle, go in hard. Yeah, I, that's so, so critical. Love that. Yeah, that, you know, in conversations that I've had over the years with, with club coaches, club directors, you know, on and on again, that the, the enemy of the, of the team is usually the parent. You know, and my, my question is always, well, what, what are you doing to help that process? Nothing, you know? And it's like, okay, you can, like you're saying, you can solve a lot of those problems by addressing it head on and first. And I think a lot of parents would be shocked that they've been included in the process uh, and probably would really welcome it because that they can, parents can feel that separation from the team. And uh, you're so right. If you can get the parents on board and make them feel like they're part of the family, part of the process, you can go a lot further with that for sure. It just, it baffles me when that's a problem that's identified, but the energy to solve it is, is easy up front, but the work you're doing to avoid it is so much harder uh, in yeah. the end. So I, I'd love for our club coaches and directors and, and whatnot to go back and really listen to that again and really think of ways to involve parents, you're not asking the parents to coach, you're not, you know, you're not asking their opinion of how you should play, but you can definitely get them on board with what are the core values of the team and how you're going to structure it and how you're going to run it. Uh, and it becomes more of a partnership uh, for sure. And I actually love that. So we come kind of come to the, the part of the show where, you know, we say all good things must come to an end. And I think we're, we're leaving a lot on the table here and I think it feels right. We probably need to get you back on at some point to dive into more of this. Cause I think so much of it is, is so needed. Um, I definitely appreciate you, you coming on, but what, it, I think this is a question we asked everybody, Phil, maybe I said that too early, but what, what is a, um, a life leadership lesson you've learned as a triathlete, as just, you know, all those, all the sports that you've done, what is a life lesson you've learned through that process that you've taken into how you go into performance coaching and how, what are some of the big life lessons you've learned from your sport? Yeah, gosh, I, I honestly think that I may have learned maybe because I was older, but I may have learned more lessons from my marathon and triathlon <laughs> career than I did than I did soccer when, back in my young days. And I think, you know, so several is the answer, but taking the long road to success is critical. Knowing that process is the win and the outcome is a 
is is an extra. That would be something that I would say I definitely learned from from triathlon in particular. So much work goes into the into training to be able to compete at a super high level. And when you spend thousands of dollars to go here and there and to a race and things don't work out and you you walk home with no money in your pocket as a professional triathlete, that takes a lot of resetting and knowing that there must be growth that come that is extracted from that experience. Otherwise it is a total loss. So one of my probably the most courageous triathlete that I ever competed against, her name was Meredith Kessler, and she had just a remarkable quote that has always stuck with me. And that is never let success go to your head and never let failure go to your heart. And so if we can live that out of being a person of humility, having integrity through this sport journey, sinking into the process, the everyday love for the sport, but grind, and then knowing that failure is an inevitable part of sport but that it is not the end of sport. We've, there's so much learning and, and good stuff that comes out of failure. Well, that a common theme, right, Phil? The, the, yeah. the most knowledgeable people that we have on this podcast talk about that, that growth through failure and how important it is. Um, another, another rabbit hole we could go down for sure, but I love hearing that. You, we can't say it enough on the podcast because I think failure is being avoided way too much. Um, and there's so much great, not that we want to fail or want pain, but you've got to go through that pain uh, at times of failure to to learn and to grow. I definitely don't like pain. That's why I didn't like tackle football my junior and senior year of high school because the guys were too good at my high school. So uh, that's a whole different conversation again. But, uh, you know, the I think the quote that Jonathan Van Horn had is he who fails most wins, I think is what it was. Right. <laughs> and I, I, I love that. Right. You know, yeah. because it's that idea of your, if you're, like we talked about at the beginning, if you're not, you know, if you're not failing, you're not trying, you're not trying hard enough. I always use that in the context of skiing. If you're not falling, you're not, you're not going after it hard enough and you're not going to, you're not going to improve. Right. So I think that's something that we need to continue to remember. All right. So the last couple of questions we ask everybody on this show. Um, the first of those is how do you use the lessons and how have you used the lessons you've learned directly from the game of soccer? We'll stick to soccer in this case in your marriage and parenting. I think that, you know, soccer where there is uh, everyone holds a certain role on the team. We know our role. We know that we have to adapt to the situation in front of us. And really kind of giving ourselves kindness and compassion, as much kindness and compassion to ourselves as we do to our spouse and to our kids, and then teach our kids what it's like to kind of self-forgive and to be to be kind with yourself. Yeah, I think that modeling, you know, hardship and admitting mistakes is critical in parenting. And and with Mark, my spouse, and then just knowing that uh, at the end of the day, it is still a there are the highest highs and the lowest lows. Scoring a goal is just like the highest high, right? And um, losing a championship might be one of the lowest lows, but but the stuff that's in between still is is 
really a, a special place to be and that we can't just focus. We have to be present for the stuff in between as well, because that's really where the good stuff happens. Being fully present for, for our kids and our spouse is, is, seems like it's getting more tricky as, as the digital age uh, increases, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, that idea of presence, present, being present. That's one of my prayers every day for myself is I can be present because that's something I struggle with is focus and just really focusing in on the one thing. And so the the phone, the media, but also just stuff going on around us, right? If you're not careful, you won't be present with your with your kids, with your spouse, and 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 they know it and they they see that and they feel it. And so that's something, yeah, very, very important. I love that. Our, our last question, you've given us some great books to consider already, and I know that we'll put those in the, in the show notes for people to, to reference back to, but what is something you've watched, read, or listened to that's most impacted your thinking on how soccer explains life and leadership? I would say that two books, besides The, the Confident Mind and Atomic Habits, I'm going to throw that one out there, is... For for coaching for soccer, it would be Clear Coaching and The Teacher's Guide to Coaching by Doug Lamov. And so what I love so much about Doug's book is it kind of reads like a textbook, but it is so packed with intentional teaching. So how do we know that our words and our lesson plan is actually being converted into growth and learning? You know, he breaks it down so beautifully into what the cognitive science says about about learning and development and then how to how to work with kids in such a way that you can be more effective, just knowing how they learn and how they forget to, you know, like another wooden quote, just because I taught it doesn't mean, you know, I, I they learned it. And, and that's, that's a big piece. I think the other, the other book and the other mentor that I have is Todd Bean from Tovo and mm. he wrote Clear Coaching. And that is a very simple, the very simple book that he, I think he wrote during the pandemic that I revisit every year before a season to just get my mind right, get my purpose right. And then I'm able to implement my, my season, my interaction with my kids in a way that is, that is more effective and productive. So keeping my purpose front and center, and usually that is a player in the middle of it, is, um, needs to be, you know, me to remind myself of that. Love it. Yeah, man, so much good stuff. So many books. I know Lamov, that, that book has been recommended several times. Uh, I still have not read it, but I, I love that you said, as to, true to PhD fashion, I love the book. I love how it's written like a textbook because that's not usually <laughs> how uh, people would say it. Usually you say it's written like a novel or a fable. That's how most of us non-PhDs talk, right, Paul? Um, have lots of pictures. Those are the ones yes, pictures. Like. Yes, exactly. That's what we're going for. But uh, no, it's in all seriousness that, that, yeah, I can't wait. I actually have that book in my queue. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. I need to, I need to do that. But I know, and, and clear coaching as well. So that's a new one. Uh, know that we've we've heard that one yet so look forward to diving into that too but uh more than that i'm just grateful for you ruth and thank you for all you're doing thank you for coming on the show yes but more importantly thanks for what you're doing in the lives of the people that you get to work with and uh you get to coach and you get to 
you know, be their performance coach as well. And for raising three kids and, you know, doing everything else that you do. So thank you, Ruth. Appreciate you. Well, I've loved being on just chatting with you. And, um, and again, I'm humbled by, by the chance to be able to, to share my story and share kind of the, a few methods that I use that, that helps me grow as a person. And, um, hopefully it'll help other people who are listening. So thanks guys for having me on. Yeah, it's been awesome. awesome. Yep. And we will stay tuned for part two as well. We will have that. Not sure exactly when, but we will make it happen as we did with Brad Miller, because I think after that episode, we were like similarly like, man, we just, we missed half the outline and we, they're just scratching the surface. So very much look forward to that. And, uh, folks, thank you again for being a part of the show, you know, as we start a new year, uh, which we will be starting once this releases, I just, I just look back and go, man, I just can't believe all that, that God has done through this show. And we'll continue to do no doubt. And so hopefully that includes you as the listener being able to take what you're learning and, and engaging it and using it in so many different ways in your life. But what we always also talk about, we'll have in the show notes is Warrior Way, which we did, did mention at the beginning of this episode, just what Paul and Marcy are doing out there in Waco and Guatemala and elsewhere. Warriorway.com. You can check that out. Um, you can also go to Providence World, find out what we're doing. Um, that's basically Providence World fuels this, this show. And so you can go check that out as well as coaching the bigger game. We have the links to all of that stuff. You can check it out at the show notes. If you don't know where that is, it is how soccer explains leadership.com. A lot of people get this, get this podcast elsewhere so that you can go check it out there. And as always, folks, we hope that you're taking what you're learning and you're using it to be a better spouse, a better parent, a better friend, a better coach a better leader, better in everything that you do and continually remind yourself that soccer does explain life and leadership. Thanks a lot. Have a great couple weeks.